0: The Mental Health and Wealth Show. The Mental Health and Wealth Show. The Mental Health and Wealth Show. This is Melanie Lockhart, host of The Mental Health and Wealth Show. Thank you for listening. I just wanted to start the show with saying that I am not a mental health professional or a financial professional. All content should not be considered professional, medical, or financial advice. I want to let you know that as a trigger warning, please note that content on the podcast can include topics like mental health and suicidal ideation and talk about a lot of sensitive topics. So please know that before listening, if you are currently in distress, please get in touch with a professional by texting home to 741-741. This is Melanie Lockhart with the Mental Health and Wealth Show, and today I'll be talking with Leslie Tain. Leslie Tain is the author and award winning financial attorney. She's also the founder and director of Tain Law Group, headquartered in Melville. With 20 plus years of experience, she specializes in consumer and business financial debt related services. She's also an inspiring businesswoman and entrepreneur who has succeeded in standing out in a pair of male dominated industries, law and finance, all while raising three kids on her own and building a reputation as a leading financial debt professional. Amazing. She's frequently sought out for her expertise in the media and as a speaker, and she often provides insight and strategies regarding all areas of debt and credit-related solutions to outlet like the Huffington Post, Yahoo Finance, US News and World Report, MSN, among others. Thank you so much for being on the show today. And thank you for having me. I'm super excited to chat with you, even though we're discussing a rather serious topic today, but I know when I heard about your story and what this topic was, I thought I have to have you on the Mental Health and Wealth Show because this is something that is so important for people to hear, to know about. I think there are different degrees to what we're going to be talking about today, and that topic is financial abuse. You know, a lot of people are familiar with what physical abuse is, maybe even emotional abuse. But financial abuse is something that probably not that many people know about unless they've experienced it. And even then, it might not be something they're quite aware of. So you have dealt with financial abuse. Can you explain what that is and what your experience was?
1: Sure. And I think you made a really good point in saying that a lot of people may not realize that they are experiencing financial abuse. It often does come along with emotional abuse and and other abusive characteristics. But usually with financial abuse, you see where one person maintains power or control over another financially. You may have money stolen or simply you don't have access to it. It can include intimidation as well. So there are a lot of facets to it. And like you said, you just may not even realize it's happening to you.
0: Yeah, that sounds crazy. And obviously finances affect every area of your life. So this particular form of abuse can be, I think, far reaching into different areas of your life.
1: It could really impact so many areas. It could really impact your job. It could impact your ability to manage your day-to-day life. It could make you feel like you are, completely vulnerable because you don't have, maybe you don't have access to money. So there are really a lot of aspects to it that I think, and I hope that through our discussion, we'll be able to bring to light. So people will be able to see that they might be experiencing something like that and then becoming aware of it. Cause that's always the first step with anything like this is the awareness that you might be experiencing this. And once you become aware of it, you could then take the steps that you need to take to protect yourself. Super important.
0: Yeah. So, what were the first signs that you kind of experienced? And when did you realize that, oh, I'm dealing with financial abuse? And tell me a little bit more about your story. Sure. So,
1: I did experience financial abuse in my first marriage. And going back to the beginning, many years ago, I was married very young, right out of law school, married somebody who was about seven years older than I am. And he was already working. I wasn't. I was in school the whole time when we were dating and otherwise. And truthfully, you know, during that relationship, it really stemmed from my childhood. It's it's really what your first experience is with money and how you grew up and how that's imprinted on you. Because the truth of the matter is when I was growing up, there was definitely a solid line between what my father's role was and what my mother's role was and how money was used in my household. And it was used as a tool as a child. It was used for control. It was used in abusive ways. It was uh, used in anger. It was used in so many different ways that it really impacted the type of person that I ended up with initially And you don't even realize that that's the case that that's where it really stems from. And if you think back to your childhood and how money is introduced to you, that is really the basis of how money and finances form for you. It's really like anything else. So in my case, my dad was completely in control of the money, even though my mother worked. And you know, there was a two income household, but my mother definitely made it clear that my father was the one who controlled and used that word a lot, controlled the money. So when I was dating, and I dated my first husband when I was started when I was 19, and I got married very early at around 23, 24. And so when I look back, I could see the same characteristics of both of my parents and the history that I had in my first husband. He controlled the money, but I was willing to let him control the money. I was younger. I wasn't earning money. He already had a, quote, a system of how he managed the money. And his system seemed reasonable to me. And, uh, you know, obviously I'm very intelligent and I went to a good college. I went to law school. I did well. But that doesn't change the impact of financial abuse on you. And in fact you would be surprised at the statistics that very well-educated individuals are often the victim of some sort of abuse. So it doesn't have anything to do with my background or my intellect. Today, it's a totally different story. My life is completely different. But going back to that history, which is super important for people to relate to and to realize that, you know, you too could be a victim of it. I was totally fine with my ex-husband managing the money. I had just graduated from law school. I was looking for a job and then I got a job. It didn't pay that well. He was making more money. He was just had this whole system and I was okay with it. What I wasn't okay with and what I started to not be okay with was when I was starting to earn money, I was asking questions about like my student loans. I would say, what's happening with my student loans? Or you know, how come I don't have access to the bank accounts? Or why is your computer locked? And every time I bought something, I had to put the receipt in this box. And I thought, okay, so he likes to be organized. He's somewhat, you know, particular in that way. Okay. But then as I started to earn money, there was comments, there was there was a mixture of emotional abuse in there as well. And as I started to earn more money and as my career started to take off, I, I had also three little children. I had a baby and then I had twins two and a half years later. So I had three little kids I went back to work and this is part of it too. So I went back to work when my twins were two and a half weeks old. So we're talking 20 years ago. So, you know, I know that there may be listeners thinking, oh, that's that you can't do that. That's the law. 20 years ago, the world was different. And I went back to work when my twins were two and a half weeks old and I had a two and a half year old at home and I was working a lot of hours and I had no paid leave. I worked till I was 40 and a half weeks pregnant because I needed the money and there's no family medical leave that allowed me to be paid to take time off. And it wasn't an option for me. But interestingly, you know, as I look back and I think, you know what, I had a C-section. I was very sick. I had preeclampsia after I delivered my twins. I was super sick, but you know what? my husband really should have stepped in. I would like to have had him step in and say, you know what? You really should stay home and rest a little bit more. But no, I went right back to work. And so that there's a piece of that too, that is impactful on your mental state and your thought process. Okay. I I need to go back to work because I now have all these children and all these responsibilities and we owned a house and he was working too. But when you think about all these factors, and and maybe there's some people out there listening who can relate to it, a lot of that really is abusive in the sense that, one, you're not getting any time to rest. There's a lot of pressure on you to make money. You know, your money comes in and the other person is controlling it. And it's not a gender thing. So this has nothing to do with male, female whatsoever. It's just a matter of who's in control. So, you know, and that control piece is there. And then you start to say, okay, well, if they're doing it and you ask questions and they bark at you or they answer angrily, you, you know, the ceiling starts to come down. So you start to ask less questions and you feel more intimidated or afraid to ask questions because you could potentially start a fight or make them upset. Those are all characteristics. And I, I've seen it in my life and I see it in my practice all the time.
0: Yeah, it sounds like you have to walk on eggshells wondering if you're going to trigger a, a fight. And it seems like some of the clear warning signs around financial abuse are limiting access, controlling money, kind of having secret accounts and not letting you look at those accounts. What other kind of signs would you say are out there if someone's listening and wondering, is this financial abuse or is this someone that's maybe just more organized as you thought? And like, what, what is that line, do you think?
1: Well, I have to tell you, it starts very subtly. It's not going to be right in your face. It's not like when you date somebody or marry somebody, all of a sudden, like a switch flips and things completely change. It's always going to be subtle. It's always going to be slow. It's always going to be chipping away at your freedom financially. So that can include you know, you need to give me the paycheck when it comes in. I'll pay the bills. You need to tell me what you're charging, what you're paying. Oh, you bought that. Why did you buy that? You shouldn't have done that. That was a dumb purchase, or you had no right to do that. You have to take it back or just a lot of abuse around the purchase of something, or you're not smart enough to handle the money, or, you know, I've been doing it longer. So I know better and I know what's right for us. And there's so many words like that, that get used like outward rules on spending. Like I said, and am being reprimanded for purchase using your assets for their personal benefit. I see that a lot in my practice where somebody comes in and they were in a relationship where the other person needed their credit cards. Can you just loan me a little money? You know, I just got divorced or I lost my job. Honey, can you help me out? Or I need this. I need that. Or we should be doing this for the family and guilting you into making you feel badly, which is just another word for guilt, to make certain purchases. Or they keep charging it without any recourse. Or you've checked your credit or you've been denied for credit. And all of a sudden, you see things on your credit report that you never saw before. They could be taking tax returns or other financial documents and pushing them in front of your face and say, you need to sign here. You need to trust me. I took care of it don't ask questions, it's already done. We see that with tax filings, we see it with applications and things like that, or just simply using your signature because a lot of things are done electronically today. So your e-signature, all they need is your social security number and access to bank accounts, and they can be doing that without asking. Not asking your permission or discussing it with you really is a form of abuse. It's not okay that somebody else really has carte blanche to just do whatever they want without understanding the impact to you. And all of that is financial abuse. Another level, which you may not even think about, is interfering with your job, telling you where you can and cannot work, what hours you can work, texting you or harassing you or calling you at work or showing up at your job, you know, and making you feel intimidated or interfering with your work responsibilities. That is a form of financial abuse. Yeah, that's
0: unimaginable. And I can just see that a partner that they can open up different credit accounts in someone else's names. They can kind of guilt you into working or not working and how unsettling that can be. And it sounds like it really starts in an insidious manner where it just seems like, oh, okay, there might be organized here and there. And then it gets worse and worse and worse until you realize that, oh, I have no access or control over my money. There seems to be secrets here. I'm very much feeling controlled. And that sounds like it would be very traumatic on your mental health. I mean, we all have these kind of money issues that you alluded to that come from the family, that start with the family, that we're all trying to unlearn and and navigate in our adult life. And then you compound that with financial abuse, where you're told again and again that you're not worthy of money, that you don't know how to manage money, that you can't do anything. Can you give me some insight in what was your mental health like before this time, and after this time, and also during as well?
1: So again, for me... The time surrounding this relationship, so it it was really tumultuous in my life. At 21, my parents got divorced. They didn't have a very good, healthy relationship. So it wasn't a healthy environment that I grew up in. There was a lot of discord, and it was always around money and finances. I remember also a lot of dismissiveness when I would ask my parents. And really, it's, it's generational. I don't blame them. I'm not angry at them. But I understand that it was generational when I would say to my dad, you know, how much money do you make? And he would be, you have a roof over your head, right? And while I I counsel people and I do a lot of speaking engagements on the appropriateness of discussing finances with children, and I believe there is a time and a place about appropriateness and discussing with your children what's going on that you need to make them feel secure and also that their questions are validated without giving too much information because you can stress out kids. And then again, you know, you have to remember that you're making an impact on them. And they're not your equal children at any age. So they don't need to know all of the details going on in your household. But you wanna be mindful of that because even for myself, I look back at a lot of the experiences that I had first with finances and why how I ended up with my first husband and a lot of the similarities between him and my parents 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 and the environment that I grew up in there's a comfort level remember you know psychologically that there's a comfort level in the um, responses so I'll give you an an extreme example if you grew up not physically abused nobody ever hit you and then as an adult somebody hit you it would be completely shocking and you would be like oh my god I can't believe that happened and walk away likely walk away but if you were used to being hit as a child and you were physically abused then when you if you're physically abused as an adult there's a tolerance to that there may be a small tolerance a medium tolerance or a larger one and that happens among abuse too and every level so even in emotional abuse you know as a, as a child if you're dismissed and you are you're not taken seriously if you are told that you know i always wanted to be a lawyer so my father said to me it's not a good job for women so again looking back and I'm Frankly, I'm not that old, but my parents grew up, their parents had different thought processes and that's how they grew up. And the things that they taught me, they thought were right, but they made imprints on me that then followed me into my adult life. And early on, you know, mentally, I, I recognized that this was not working for me, that it was super uncomfortable. I didn't feel comfortable with my husband. I didn't feel comfortable with the way things were working. And I was communicative and said, listen, you know, I'm not comfortable with what's happening and going on. I don't feel like we communicate well. I don't feel like we're on the same page. And he said to me, I said, I'd like us to go for counseling. And he was said, you know, I don't even believe in counseling. You're the one with the problems. You go. Wow. So I remember going to therapy and the therapist saying, like, where's your husband? And I said, he doesn't want to. He doesn't think it's he thinks it's my problem. But it was the best thing he ever did for me because I went to therapy on my own and I'm a huge advocate of therapy. I love it. I I think it's so important. I think it's empowering and it's insightful and it's, it's a stress relief and it's so enlightening. I just, I really am a huge fan and big advocate of it. So he was, he was not at the time, certainly. And I went and I was very open and receptive to therapy. And I was sitting there saying, I don't want to be like my parents. I don't want these same patterns. And I recognize the patterns. I'm unhappy in my marriage. I don't think my husband and I communicate and I don't feel good. I didn't know why I didn't feel good. I didn't know the terminology at the time. I just knew that I had a stomach ache and I was on all different kinds of medications for indigestion. And I didn't look that good and I didn't feel good a lot. And yes, I had three little kids and I was working a lot of hours and then I was building my own practice at that point. So there was a lot of stress there, but through therapy, I learned about myself and I became very aware and sometimes you have to move along with different therapists. And I did, you know, sometimes I I felt for me that I outgrew a therapist that, okay, this therapist took me to a certain point. Now it's time to find the next level. And I found a therapist and he has since passed and he's been so impactful in my life. And I think about him always. And I hear his voice always on my shoulder. He really taught me about the terminology of gaslighting. And gaslighting is from the movie Gaslight. And if you're not familiar with that, it's where somebody tells you like, you see the lights going on and off. And they're telling you that you're crazy that the lights are not going on and off and I realized that yeah. I, What are you talking about? Right. And the lights are actually going on and off and the goal in that movie the person's goal in that movie was to make the wife crazy so she could be put in a like a mental institution, but gaslighting is very real and it happens every day and it's part of emotional and financial abuse. Like they're telling you you're not seeing things. And so I learned about that and I and it takes a lot of trust trust in yourself to realize that you're being gaslighted, that the, what the person's telling you is inaccurate. Like he used to say to me, Leslie, if I told you your eyes were blue and they're Brown, and he said, if I told you your eyes were blue, would you believe me? Because I'm a doctor, right? So I would say, no, he said, but if you have to look in the mirror to double check, then that's where the gaslighting comes in. You know, your eyes are Brown, but they're telling you that they're blue and you have to go to a mirror to double check. You know, that's that characteristic of gaslighting. And that is very common with this. It's, So common for somebody to tell you that what you're seeing is not what you're seeing. Everything's under control. That's not what's really happening. You know, the phone calls are for other reasons, not bill collectors calling, or it's not what you see. And so You need the support when that's happening. And I needed the support. And I was so lucky to find some wonderful people along the way who helped me with my journey. And I was very aware of it and wanted very badly to be healthy and independent. And I realized that the marriage wasn't working. And one of the triggers at the end for me was that I went away with my kids and my parents on vacation. He was home. I came back and I checked the bank account. And, you know, at that point I had more access to the money and uh, my name was on the bank account And I noticed there was a large amount of money missing. And I said, where did this money? He said, I gave it to you. Mm. I said, no, you did not give it to me. I would have remembered. (laughs) Okay. Right. I would have remembered. You gave me 20 bucks or a hundred bucks. I could, okay, but not into the thousands. And so right there was my trigger. And I, at that point I knew it was, I was done. And so there are different levels for different people. And for me, I didn't want my kids growing up in that kind of household. I didn't want myself. I felt like it was making me truly sick physically And my business was really starting to take off. You know, again, we're we're talking like 15 years ago. So it's been a while. And I remained single for a long time and really worked a lot on myself and spent a lot of time understanding who I am and what I am and why I might be vulnerable to these things. And even if you're not in a relationship that's super key to know about, that there are vulnerabilities in yourself. And knowing what your vulnerabilities are, because, you know, when you first enter a relationship, you think everything is great and you see everything through these wonderful romantic eyes. And you may not even realize what's happening to you and you want the relationship to work and you want you want to try to do the right thing. And even as I dated people along the way, you know, I there were. There was a red flag with this guy that I dated. And one of the questions I would ask is Do you rent or do you own your house? I know it seems silly, but I would ask those questions. Uh, You know, for me, I wanted to gauge where they were. But this person told me that they owned their house. And then a date or two later, they said to me, I want to come clean and tell you that I don't own my house, I rent it. I just wanted to tell you that and be honest with you. And I thought for a moment, okay, so so do I give this person a second chance because they came clean and they were honest with me? Or do I say, no, I'm not going to continue dating because initially your instinct was to lie to me and maybe your instincts would be dishonest going forward. So I actually, at that time, again, a long time ago, I said, okay, you know what? This person came clean. Let me be, let me give this person a second chance. And it turned out that that pattern just existed two or three dates later. So that was the end of it. But I think that, you know, it's something to be super aware of and know that little things like that are the red flags and they will wear you down after a while and you'll become even more vulnerable. So don't be afraid to to early on to say you're recognizing things that are making you feel uncomfortable and making you change the way you do things. And I see that again also in my practice, you know, when a lot of people come to me and, and they are feeling really down and they're sad and they say to me, you know, I have all this debt and This is because I was in this relationship and I wanted it to work and he was newly divorced. He didn't have anywhere to go. So he and his children moved into my house and he didn't have any money and he wasn't working and there was all these reasons why he wasn't working. And then I became the one who was supporting this person. And I hear that story. That's not an uncommon tale. So, be aware of your boundaries and of your vulnerabilities. And if you're single and you're not in a relationship, it's something to explore so that you can create those boundaries and be aware of that if it should ever come your way.
0: Yeah, I think that's so important to look at the red flags initially when you're dating and not ignore that. You know, I'm so interested to hear that that same pattern kind of existed with that guy that you were talking about. Because when I heard that story, I was like, don't give him another chance because it starts with the small lies that just get bigger and bigger and bigger. And I love that you mentioned kind of how our upbringing affects choosing our romantic partners. I know that's something that is widely written about in psychology and something that I've studied myself as well. And so if you guys have not resolved your childhood trauma, you will continue to seek that out in romantic relationships, hoping for a different outcome. But it's going to be the same outcome. So it's going to feel familiar to you. But then obviously, you know, as you grow older and we're continuing to deal with this situation that doesn't get better, it's like that's when you start feeling sick and feeling frustrated. And, you know, I thought it was fascinating that you mentioned kind of the stomach aches and everything because I remember When my nine year relationship was coming to an end, I was sicker than I ever was. I had all these headaches. I had stomach issues. I had everything and just, you know, wouldn't go away. And then not until much later did I realize that sometimes your body knows before your mind is ready to accept. And so it's important to evaluate like when things are wrong with your body, is there something else going on that I'm not really letting myself feel or, or, accepting because these are big issues and, you know, dealing with financial abuse and gaslighting that is extremely traumatic. And I'm so glad that you did go to therapy to kind of figure out where you were at and to get the help you need, because when you're in that kind of situation, it can rock your identity and the core of yourself and can take a toll on your self-esteem. So I'm so glad that you were able to kind of address that and move on. So I want to kind of go back to the financial part of it. So, you know, you realized you were being gaslit and you had financial abuse. It sounds like you did get out of that marriage. So what were the first steps you took to get your finances in order after experiencing financial abuse? So
1: once I made the decision that 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 was over, and it wasn't an, it wasn't an easy decision. It took a while to pull the trigger there and to really try to separate it. What happened was once I recognized and realized that that money was missing from the account and I had access to the account, I moved the money into an account in just my name. And then, you know, I was, I instituted the divorce proceedings. And once you file for divorce, at least here in New York, there's a stay on use of marital funds or marital property. You can't, you can't dispose of it in any way. So at that point I had the court on my side to make sure that there was nothing going to be taken. And I got a temporary order so that again, the bills were being paid in the house and there weren't any other issues like that. So that was a really nice place to be because again, for me, it worked it doesn't always work not everybody follows those orders I mean there are re- serious repercussions if you're not going to follow court order of course but I can't say that in my practice in 23 years that I haven't seen people not do what they're supposed to do and dispose of marital assets you know from taking cash or selling off assets and things like that but the court system can work to your benefit and having a good attorney and somebody who's your advocate as well and really you need a, some sort of support system for me while all this was going on I never told anybody. And that's a really common characteristic of being abused is that you don't share the information. You don't let people know what's going on. You either don't want to burden them or you don't want them to be angry or not like the person that you're with, or that you're just, you start to, it gets, everything gets internalized and you start to not share the information and it becomes a very closed in world. You start not to see some of your friends. You start to have less of a a life. You live a little bit in a sort of tunnel vision where you're separated from it. And definitely, I agree with you that if you listen to your body, it will be the first sign that there's something wrong. And you can definitely heal things through understanding what ailments you're having in your body. And I'm also a strong believer in that as well. So I didn't realize at the time, I wasn't as enlightened as I am today. And I didn't spend the time as I have over the last years, you know, really studying this as much as I have. At first, when I became aware that all the things that I was experiencing from indigestion to, you know, all different kinds of ailments that were a result of the stress that I was under and the pressure that I was under and the abuse that I was experiencing. So it does come down to really being Aware of that and being able to take the steps to help yourself, and you have to be able to start to trust. And I do a lot of work for victims of domestic abuse, and the trust is a tough place. You know, the person that you trusted the most, your significant other, who you live with or married with or had children with, really violated that, and um, it makes it very difficult to know who you can trust and how you can trust. But There are people out there who will have your best interests in mind, and finding that person or persons who can be there may not be in your family. It certainly, for me, wasn't necessarily in my family, although I did have support that I didn't expect to have within my family. I I didn't expect certain members of my family to be as supportive as they were. And thankfully they were, you know, not everybody has that in the sense that there's not always family around to really help you pick up the pieces. So a lot of it is really going to be on you and you have, you may have children and and other responsibilities. It is not easy. I could tell you that I was really worried about my business at the time. Was my business going to go under as a result of this? And and again, it's a very long time ago and, and thankfully I've come. A long way, but I was worried about what would happen to me and my children. And my goal was to make sure that I can make enough money to support my children and give them a good life. And, you know, that's a really scary thought. It's not just you, you you have a family, and you really have to kind of take control and say, okay, you know what? I'm in this situation. I was in this situation. I want better for my kids. Going through a divorce is financially challenging. There's just no doubt, even under the best of circumstances, it is a debilitating experience because it's expensive to get divorced but it's worth it. And I understand the loss of income during that time and the expenses that you have, but please don't look at that as a deterrent. If you're in an abusive relationship, it does cost, but you'll come out of it. And I promise you, it cost me a lot of money to get divorced too. And I am a, I am an attorney and I have friends who are many, many, many attorney friends, especially matrimonial attorney friends, but they, they deserve to be paid too. And they were paid for my divorce, but please don't look at that as a deterrent. And I didn't, I just didn't understand divorce. I think, you know, when I was looking and facing it, you know, yeah, divorce was out there, but what did that really mean for me? And where was I going to be after that? And what, you know, nobody I knew close to me went through the experiences and the process. And you have to trust, and find the right people around you, the therapists, the, if you're going to a place like a domestic violence shelter, trust them to help you through the process. There's tons of volunteers, but that's the biggest piece for me is that it was learning how to trust that the process was going to get me where I needed to go and trusting myself, believing in myself, knowing that I was very bright and very capable and that I was going to get through it. And no matter what I put my head down and I said, you know what, I have three kids. I'm going to make this work. And I did and I built a hugely successful practice, uh, helping people with debt and other financial issues. And I'm remarried. I have a, a husband and we're in a totally different place. Oh, I love uh, that. At this point, I had, a uh, it's a really happy ending and it's a wonderful story. I'm still super aware of my vulnerabilities. They don't necessarily go away. So even though, you know, you uh, can, you can become aware of them, they're there and they get tested over time. They get tested in all new relationships and they get tested. They're just going to come up. It's called, I'm sure, or as you may know, it's called repetition compulsion. And that repetitiveness, that record that was imprinted when you were a child comes up again. It's up to, you to be aware of it and recognize it and make changes and say, you know what? Oh, look at this package. It's now pink instead of blue, but it's still the same package that it was before. And it's not always easy to recognize that it's a lot of work. There's no doubt. So for me, it took a lot of work. It was a long journey. And I tried, you know, it was, I was very dedicated to my journey to health to mental health and to financial comfort. So I spent a lot of time with different therapists over time and also in different types of therapies from holistic, from Reiki to past life regression, to anything that I thought that would enlighten me and give me insight into helping me meditation. There's so many good modalities uh, from yoga and Pilates and working out on a regular basis. And now I'm a, a soul cycle fanatic where I can go into my own head space and I can you know, meditate even during that process. And it's constant work because what's imprinted on you as a child financially and what you have experienced takes you through your your life. And I want to teach my children differently. And I'm sure they've been imprinted certain things that maybe they want to challenge themselves with later. But you know, I didn't dismiss my children when they asked me questions about my finances and what was happening with us. I tried to answer them in appropriate, age-appropriate ways and do things a little bit differently, but it it requires a lot of awareness. And again, and trust in yourself. And there's nobody in this world that I trust more than myself and my instinct. I know my instincts are super sharp. And I know as soon as I don't feel good in a situation, I say to myself, where is this energy coming from? That's not my energy. Why am I feeling this, that either anxiety or other things, I'm feeling somebody else's energy. And that energy translates into, you know, those are warning signs. They're red flags. And that happens in financial situations when you're making decisions about who to work with to resolve your debt. I tell people that all the time. You know, if you're not comfortable with me, then by all means, find somebody you are comfortable with. But if you are not comfortable and something doesn't feel right, then don't go with it. Don't sign papers that you don't understand. God, my own mother once said that to me. be (laughs) mad at me because I signed something that I didn't know. Don't sign something, ask for help. There are resources out there. Trust yourself and know that you inside of you have your best interests in mind and you can get out of it too. I am a huge success story and it's always gonna be a challenge to stay above those experiences that have been imprinted on you and they're hurtful. And you know the memories aren't always so wonderful and, but life on the other side is so comfortable and so it's so much relief and happiness.
0: Yeah, I love your success story. And I think it's such a wonderful inspiration to so many people and can just show you that you can really transform your life. And as you said, it's so much hard work and figuring out kind of your childhood trauma and your triggers and how to react differently and to notice those red flags sooner rather than later. I think when you're dealing with financial abuse and trying to get out of it and heal and getting that confidence up like you said is really crucial. I think getting your own financial independence, you know, your own bank account, rebuilding your credit, making sure that you can stand on your own two feet and pay your own bills and then kind of extract yourself from that negative situation. I just am so happy to have you here inspiring our audience and I wanted to end the show and kind of talk about, you know, given your experience with financial abuse and helping others in debt, what's one piece of advice you would give others regarding money and mental health?
1: they actually go together. So when you're in a healthy mindset, your finances are healthy. When you're not in a healthy mindset, you tend to make poor decisions financially. So um, remember that they do, they go hand in hand. And I often tell clients, you know, people come to me and they are in such tough situations. They're crying, they're stressed, they're fighting with their significant others. There's so much stress when money is tight and you have difficulty paying bills, you don't know who to trust. I tell people that it's let's take some time, even though we've talked and met and this is the right answer, you know, make a decision when you have a clear head, go for a walk, sleep on it. Don't feel pressure. Anytime you're feeling pressure financially to do something, it's probably not the right time. And we are talking about this in the perfect environment because there's going to be so much financial pressure as a result of what's happening in the world right now for so many people. Yes. People are going to be more stressed. So the abuse levels are, you know, they're saying are likely to go up. People are now working from home or there's a lot more pressure. And all of that can translate into additional levels of abuse. So now's the time to be even more cognizant of that happening. So there are resources out there. Educate yourself. You can find help out there that can be secretive, that can help you get strong. Just don't make decisions in haste. And be aware that the mental health and the financial health do go hand in hand.
0: Yes, I'm so glad you mentioned that. And that's exactly why I launched the Mental Health and Wealth Show just a month ago or two. Because, yeah, they go hand in hand. And there's an inextricable link that we can't deny. And I think it's important that we look at each factor holistically. So thank you for being on the show, Leslie. I so appreciate you sharing your story and your advice with our listeners. Where can people find you?
1: Sure. Well, again, thank you so much for having me. You can find me anywhere on the web. My website is tainlaw.com, T-A-Y-N-E-L-A-W.com. And you can subscribe to our monthly newsletter, if you like, on our website, where we send out the latest financial news and tips to help better manage your money. You can find me personally on Twitter at Leslie H. Tane E-S-Q, and on LinkedIn. And of course, you can find the Tain Law Group on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram at Tain Law Group. And of course, we always have no obligation free phone calls. So please feel free to give us a call at 866-890-7337. I also wrote a book called Life and Debt. You can find yes, that on it's Amazon. So good. And thank you. And so feel free to reach out. I'm always available. My staff is always available for a phone call, anything. Thank you
0: so much. Yeah. And I'm so glad you mentioned your book too. I was going to give that a plug as well. We'll have that in the show notes. Thank you so much for sharing your story. And I really appreciate you being so open and vulnerable.
1: Of course. Thank you so much. I'm I'm so happy to share my experience. Thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to the Mental Health and Wealth Show. And if you want to know anything about me, just feel free to email me at mentalhealthandwealthshow at gmail.com. You can also connect with me at MelanieLockert.com or MentalHealthAndWealth.com. We will be releasing this podcast every other week on Friday. So definitely stay tuned for some other exciting episodes coming your way. I would love for you to go to MentalHealthAndWealth.com and check out our content, sign up for our newsletter. And if you like the show, feel free to subscribe and review. Thank you so much.